This is Got Moke. My name is Moke or Mike, but for all intents and purposes, it is Moke. Thank you for tuning in to episode six. We have a very special episode today as I got one of my favorite sports broadcasters in Ottawa, Ian Mendez, to call in. Here's that conversation. So uh, joining me on the line from TSN 1200, I've got Ian Mendez. How's your day going so far? Hey, Mike, I'm having uh, having a great day. Uh, no complaints. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Really excited to have you on the line here because uh, there are some very Ian Mendez-based questions that I've always <laughs> wanted to ask you about. So I was wondering if that would be okay. Oh, imagine if I said no. I'm like, no, you can't ask me Ian Mendez-style questions. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I could talk uh, Ottawa Senators with you for like days, but <laughs> we'll uh, start with the personal stuff. Sure. Cool. So obviously, uh, in the early parts of your career, you spent a lot of time on the road traveling with the Ottawa Senators. So I was wondering uh, if you had any favorite memories or funny stories from that time. Yeah, you know what, I, I'll tell you, I really appreciated the opportunity just to kind of peek behind the curtain uh, to see how uh, the other half lives. And it, it's unreal, like unreal. Because if you're like me, and I think most people listening to this podcast would be like me, where when you go to book a trip uh, somewhere, you're going to like Expedia or you're going to Air Canada WestJet and you're picking the lowest fare and you're like, you're, you're right, you're, you're picking economy and, you know, that's the way travel is for, for 99% of us. But then for the 1% that travel in style, it's unreal. Like uh, I'm talking, you'd walk onto the plane and there'd be uh, sushi carts and like appetizers waiting for you. And every seat on the plane is first class and they've got your drink waiting for you and, you know, all this sort of thing. So it was unreal to be able to do that. But I, I, I think when you're asking kind of like what, you know, memories or stories, the thing I really appreciated was you got an opportunity to, to kind of to chit chat with the players in an informal setting. So, you know, maybe you're waiting in line at, at security or you're on a shuttle bus and, you know, you're there with, with Craig Anderson or Daniel Alfredson, Jason Spezza, and you're able to just chat with them about, you know, life stuff, not about, hey, what's wrong with your power play or why can't you do this or that? And it's like, hey, yeah, you done your Christmas shopping or hey, are you, uh, you know, what, what, what are you missing on this trip with the kids? And, uh, you know, what are they into? And, and, and that type of thing, I think, was great. So that I, I thought you could make great connections. And and uh, and I think it was always cool too, just to see players on the road like going shopping and, and doing doing kind of regular things that I don't think that they, they could do in Ottawa without being harassed. Like if you're, you know, Eric Carlson and, and you try to go to the Rideau Center, you'd probably get mobbed. But if you're Eric Carlson and you're going to the outlet mall, uh, you know, across the street from the hotel in, in Florida against the Panthers, you can shop and no one's going to bother you. And so that was always cool to see uh, NHL players like going through malls and I'm watching them and I'm thinking like, do these people have any idea that that's like that? That's a Norris trophy winner right there. And he's, he's going in, right? Like he's, he's, he's going into a, uh, you know, lucky brand jeans outlet or what, whatever he's going into. And I'm like, I don't think people realize that. And it was always cool to kind of, kind of get that uh, perspective and view on, uh, on, on the players. Yeah. And I'm sure like these players after a certain point, get kind of tired of being asked these same questions. Like you said about the power play and whatnot, over and over and what people forget is they are they're just human they do like ordinary things like christmas shopping as well in your time uh, is there any like most interesting personality that you've encountered 
Oh boy, that that's a good one. Like I, I think you know, hockey players by nature, as you probably know, Mike, are very, um, like they're very predictable. They're, they're very rarely do they step outside of the box, so to speak. So when I think of the most interesting kind of human interest kind of players in the years, the first guy that comes to mind every single time is Ray Emery, uh, the late uh, Ray Emery, because you know Ray didn't fit into the cookie cutter kind of. Um, uh, mold that, that a lot of hockey players were in. And I can't help but think to myself, you know, I, I think like, boy, if Ray just came along now and was just breaking into the league, I, I feel like the world and society and the hockey world is much more open-minded and, and a little bit more accepting of, of big personalities and, you know, funky suits and outspoken uh, players that it wasn't like that when Ray came around 14 years ago. And so that's the guy I always was intrigued. He was such a fascinating guy. Um, obviously, unfortunately, his life ended far too short. But I always appreciated the fact that that guy, at the end of the day, he fought, he got a Stanley Cup with Chicago. He kind of got himself back on track. For, for a guy who didn't take the game too seriously at one point, uh, for him to come back from that serious hip injury and take it seriously – and showed dedication and determination. I thought it was great. So he, he's probably the number one guy in terms of like, man, that, that guy was so different than anybody else I covered. Yeah. Looking back, uh, I did meet Ray Embry once. He was just very kind and uh, he complimented me on my clothes too. So, <laughs> oh. oh, there you go. Fa- a fashion compliment from, from Ray Embry goes a long way, right? Because that, that guy had style and he had flair. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one of my favorite things to do growing up uh, I, was a show that you used to host, uh, Molson Senators Overtime. So I was just wondering yes. uh, about uh, your experience with that. And uh, is there some sort of a blooper reel laying around? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, for that show the whole time. I, I think I did it for about, I don't know, ballpark seven years or something like that, eight years. Like it, And it, I had a ton of fun doing it. And it, 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 I had the same producer uh, for the whole thing, and he actually shot, edited everything. His name's Dave, uh, Dave Davies. Great guy. Uh, still works at Rogers uh, in Ottawa. And, like, we, we used to have so many uh, outtakes and bloopers. Like, man, that, that guy could sink me if he, ever, if he ever decided to put out the blooper reel because there would be times where I just couldn't get a line right or I just burst out laughing. And, you know, it's funny. The one thing we always talk about, too, this is so random, and it would have been in that same 2005, 2006 season. So they used to give us access to the senators' change room, like the, the dressing room, to shoot the show. And one day, I'll never forget this. It's so random. I'm, I'm, I'm recording the, the, the episode of Overtime, and Dominic Hasek comes in, and he just sits at his stall, and he's eating. He's peeling an orange, and he's eating it, and he's watching me record. And he's like, no, no, go ahead. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, Dominic, he's just sitting there watching me record this show, and he's eating an orange. I'm like, this is, yeah. So Dave and I always laugh about that because it was the most, you know, bizarre thing that uh, that, that Dominic Hatchick just sat there and watched us uh, shoot an episode of Overture. Yeah. <laughs> Did that actually make it into the final cut, or...? Uh, no, but no, because he was just sitting there, right? Like, kind of off okay. camera. Just... just uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought he meant hole. he was like right in the screen there. I thought that would have been hilarious. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. And uh, like you were saying, like earlier uh, with finding out uh, 
hockey players like personalities outside of hockey i thought overtime was really good for that because you got to, to ask a lot of really cool uh like personal questions and stuff do you have uh any uh i guess favorite question that you got to ask the players you know what i think my favorite thing i ever did there's a couple of things that i got to do at overtime that was re- that were really fun that were really outside of the box and my favorite by far was and again i, I guess 2005 2006 was like uh, my banner year, for, or no, maybe it was the year. I actually, sorry, it was the year after. I think it was 06, 07. I took Tom Pricing. Uh, yeah, because it would have been 06, 07, because I think Tom only played the one year in Ottawa. And I uh, I took him to the Rideau Center. And if, if people remember this, Tom Pricing led the, or was leading the NHL at one point in plus minus. Like he was like, it was insane. He was like plus 35 or plus 40. And I was like, well, I don't think anybody knows who Tom Pricing is. So I went to him and said, would you be up for this? I was like, I take you to the Rideau Center and we play the Tom Pricing plus minus game with random people. So we're going to stop people and say, this is a member of the Senators. Can you, can you tell who it is? And for everybody that gets it right, you get a plus. And everybody who gets it wrong, you get a minus. And we're going to see what your rating is after, you know, 30 people. And he ended up with a minus because nobody could recognize him. And I thought what was great, Tom was such a good sport. He brought his helmet along with him. And so he's putting on his helmet and he's posing and, and he had so much fun with that. Uh, it was fantastic. We had a ton of fun. So I, I would say number one, uh, by far the Tom pricing plus minus game was my favorite. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look that one up to be completely honest. I don't even remember what Tom pricing looks like at all, but I do remember him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's uh, your impression on Ottawa senators, Twitter? I, I personally, I find it hilarious. It's just this, very bizarre click that just to, seems to have come together just out of being fans of the senators. Yeah. I, I, you know what, Mike, I think if you ask any fan base, especially the passionate Canadian fan bases, or even, you know, Boston and Philly and some of these great hockey cities in the U S you ask them about their own Twitter and they'll be like, Oh man, nothing. There's nothing like Canucks Twitter or there's nothing like Leafs Twitter. And, you know what? I think if you, you're the Ottawa, you're like, yeah, there's nothing like Ottawa to it, right? Like, it's it's a really weird, like you said, it's it's has added so much. Social media has added so much to the way we watch and enjoy sports and the ability in real time to connect with other Sens fans when you're watching a game and a moment. It's really cool. And I, listen, I know the last three years have been, they've been terrible, but I can't imagine what they would have been like without Twitter because you know that you have like-minded fans. There's, there's um, uh, guys and girls that love the Senators just as much as you do and just, and, and just as passionate as I am. And we're, it's this collective shared experience, and it's really cool. So when you're going through a dark cycle like we've gone through uh, the last three years, um, kind of an outlet, and that's what Twitter is. A few weeks back on air, you read an essay covering the topic of racism in the world and within sports. Uh, since then, obviously, we still have some protests happening within Canada and the USA. But I was wondering if you felt like there was much of a change culturally since then, and what else you think needs to happen. Well, I think a hundred percent, there's been a change. Like I think when you see the NFL basically say that it's going to be okay for players to protest, um, uh, you know, respectfully. That wasn't happening before. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs all showed up to, to training camp 
uh, with Black Lives Matter shirts, like the Toronto made happening before. Um, I saw the San Francisco Giants played a you know exhibition game yesterday, and a um, bunch of the players and their manager, Gabe Kapler, they took a knee during the anthem. That wasn't happening before. So, look, I think what, what people want when you're fighting for against uh, systemic racism or inequalities, I think what you people want, they want like instant progress and it's not if if anything we've learned progress is slow moving it's it's sometimes almost glacial however i would argue mike that in the last three months we've seen more tangible progress in race relations and in particular in the sports realm than we've seen at any point in my lifetime like this has been a quantum leap forward so ironically enough while there was no sports going on in march april may and june we made tremendous strides in in kind of social justice and inequality and racism um, that I think that when sports do come back, touch wood, either later this week or in the fall, depending on the sport, you're going to see some of that play out on the field, on the ice, on the court. And I think that's a good thing. Do you think that uh, all the sports leagues, NHL, NBA, MLB, and NFL, have they handled uh, the situation well in your mind? Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean... It's 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 very tricky. Each sport is unique in terms of its if it of its racial background and its diversity. So hockey, for example, hasn't had to necessarily encounter it in the same way. And yet, um, I'll give you a great example of where I think hockey's done a better job. Look at back in in, in November when it came to light that Bill Peters uh, had allegedly used you know the N word around Akeem Aliyu, and. Okay, like that, uh, Bill Peters lost his job, and that was uh, that was great. But we didn't see the type of rallying around that moment from other people, right? We we got a little bit of the well, that that Akeem Aliyu's got an axe to grind, and you know that that guy's a loose cannon. We didn't see people rally around, and then now you fast forward to May and June, and in around the death of George Floyd, and what do you see? You see powerful tweets from Jonathan Taves and Blake Wheeler and Tyler Sagan. Like, this this wasn't happening before. So I think the NHL has, and the players, this is very much a player-led initiative. As much as um, we, we, we look to the leagues, like, when the players feel empowered to speak up, that's when you see change. And it can't just be one guy. As Colin Kaepernick showed you, it can't just be one guy. It's got to be a whole bunch of players from a whole bunch of backgrounds that are coming up and saying, we're demanding better. And I think that's what you've seen in the sports world. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy for the most part with the way uh, that leagues have handled it. Uh, Have there been some, you know, missteps? Sure, there's been some missteps, but there's always going to be, you know, if we're asking for perfection, we're always going to be disappointed. So don't, you know, don't demand perfection from people. Just uh, demand improvement. It was really nice to see a lot of athletes and broadcasters speaking out against racism on Twitter. Yeah, and I think that that's important, right? Because I think um, you know uh, the the movement towards racial equality can only go so far um, for visible minorities or you know uh, you know different people. But until essentially white people come on board and say, "Yeah, you know what? This is our problem too." It can only go so far. Same thing goes for women's rights. I, women's right. Women have been screaming from the top of the mountain for, you know, uh, a century about inequality and and nothing has changed 
until the last couple of years. And finally, men are like, hey, actually, you know what? That's our problem, too. That segues pretty well into my next question. Uh, the NWHL, do you think that that's going to catch on? Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see that happen. I would. And I think the reason is, I think, you know, young young girls growing up, and I, I have a daughter who plays ringette, um, you know, and, and she doesn't play hockey, but she plays ringette. But I, I think it's important that people, when you're when you're under the age of 12 in particular, that you have role models that you can look up to and say, you know what, I could be that person. And, and we've made some strides, I think, especially with the Olympic Games and the way that we've treated women's athletes at the Olympics, whether it's our hockey team, our soccer team. Like, there's as much passion for Canadian women's soccer as there is for anything that we've done nationally. And same goes for the women's hockey team. And it's made superstars out of Christine Sinclair and Haley Wickenheiser and – but now as a group, we have to say, why are we doing that every four years? Christine Sinclair plays for a club team. Haley Wickenheiser used to play, uh, you know, professionally. Like, how do we get out of a four-year cycle with women's sports and into um, a cycle where we're, we're in, uh, in on it and we're, we're engaged on it? Well, it, it, comes, it starts with media exposure. It starts with covering games. It starts with talking about it on the radio it, it starts with having more female voices on sports talk radio it it, it, it it's all of those things and so uh, i think we're in a, in a better spot I, I i think the idea of professional women's hockey a, a six or eight team league is great i think this is unfortunately the timing of all this uh, with the pandemic might kind of put them back a little bit in terms of i guess hype here in ottawa do you think that's something that'll catch on yeah and i mean look again they, they they're a victim of the, the bad timing right where it's they're just kind of starting <laughs> this up and it's ah the, the timing couldn't be worse in some ways um, i'd like to see i'd love it if they could um get that uh you know if they can expand that league and have games in ottawa or get interest in ottawa and get our own team in ottawa that's ideally what you want right like i think um like ottawa's got a great history with that i think we're, we're the first city that ever hosted a, a women's world championship uh, you know 30 some odd years ago i think in 1990 and um and any time that we've had high level women's hockey here we've had some of those canada usa exhibition matches they've been really well received in this market so the key is uh people like me need to talk about it on the radio and and I think that's what that's what becomes uncomfortable for some guys is when you when you bring it up, they're like, "Oh, why are you talking about this? This is stupid." And that they couldn't even make the OHL if they tried. Well, we're not asking them. We're not asking them to compete against men. That that's not the point. The point is um, having a league where they feel like uh, their work is valued and um, best on best in, in in women's can be just as entertaining as best on best in men. Yeah, and take a look at uh, the all-star skills competition just last year when uh, the girls beat the men in like all the competitions. Yeah, absolutely. Kendall Coyne Schofield was unbelievable. Hypothetically, if uh, we did get a women's hockey team uh, down at TD Place owned by Oseg, do you think that uh, that could do really well or do you think it would get overshadowed by the 67s and the Ottawa Senators? Well, I think so. I think it could hold its own. Again, it would be... Uh, kind of a, you'd have to be very targeted in your marketing and, and your messaging. But like, if you're asking if there's room for, a, you know, a, a pro, a professional women's hockey team in Ottawa, my answer would be, yeah, because I think, think of all the thousands of girls in Ottawa who play minor hockey, or like, like I said, in the case of my daughter uh, plays ringette, like what, if you ask them, if you ask a nine-year-old girl, 
would you like to go see um, an Ottawa Senators game or do you want to go see women play against each other? I, I would bet you that a lot of these girls would, would choose to go see women because that's what they would identify with. O- OSEG is the perfect umbrella, right? They have the infrastructure. They have the, the marketing, the brand power, the, the, the venue, all, all the things that you would want. So I guess before I let you go, we should probably talk a little bit about the Ottawa Senators. Um, so far in this rebuild, how would you rate uh, Jack Max or sorry, uh, Eugene Melnick? Uh, do you think he's done a good job so far? Uh, well, listen, listen. Eugene's a, a, a polarizing guy. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty well do- documented that I, I, I might not be his his favorite person, and and that's fine. I, I have no problem with that. I think. I think in this industry, if, if I'm going to be on the air and be critical of, of Eugene Melnick, well, then he has every right to be critical of me. Like, I, I can't have it both ways, right? So I, I, I have to have a thick skin. And I just, you know, the only thing I'd like is for this to be back on the rails for Ottawa fans. That's all. That's the only thing I want. And I think that's where I would probably be in, in alignment with, with Eugene Melnick is – Hey, how, how do we get this? I think we just have a differing of opinions of how we get there. I, I you know, I, I'm a believer in uh, transparency and asking tough questions. And, and you know, listen, at the end of the day, I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that the three years that we've just gone through are the end of it, the end of the, the really tough times for Ottawa fans, right? I think, I think Ottawa fans have put up with enough and put up with a lot. Um, now the ball is absolutely in Eugene Melnick's court. Uh, they've, they've actually, to, to defend them here a little bit, they've actually put themselves in a nice position to be a competitive team two years from now, which is kind of what they said um, would be the case. So they can draft two guys, whether it's Stutzla, Byfield, uh, Perfetti, Rossi, whatever. You're going to get two high-impact players there in the draft, add them in the Shabbat, Kachuk, some of these other pieces, Batherson. Now, can you sign all of these guys? Uh, can you keep them all uh, competitive? Can you sign Brady Kachuk? All of these things are great questions that uh, only Eugene Melnick and Pierre Dorian have the answers to. But uh, where I'll, what I'll give them credit is, look, they, they have stuck to their plan. In the past, I don't think Eugene Melnick stuck to his plan. I think he talked about rebuilding, and then the temptation of, of being competitive always got the better of him, and that's why you would see them signing like Alexei Kovalev or Gonchar. They would, they would always do these things just to make them just competitive enough where they couldn't bottom out, but they couldn't be a contender. So where I'll give them credit is in the last three years, everything they've done has been towards putting, um, putting this together for a run in like 2022 or 2023. So I'll give them credit on that. They've done it, but they've obviously unfortunately had to, to, to you know burn uh, burn the house down so to speak and now you got to rebuild it but boy are they in a are they in a really good spot do you think that rebranding back to the 2d logo is a step in the right direction to gain back the trust of the fans yeah I think it's a step I think listen this is a journey I've always said because there's a disconnect with the fans and the and the team this is not going to be solved with one thing this is going to be a journey of a thousand steps but boy this this 2D jersey thing, that's that's maybe five or ten steps or twenty steps. Well, Ian Mendez, thank you very much for the call today. I appreciate hearing all your insights and stories, and I look forward to listening to you on the drive tonight. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Ian Mendez for that phone call. I really appreciate the time and all your insights and stories. 
Fortunately, I did have some technical issues while I was doing this interview. Certain things I wasn't able to hear on my end. I think there was a delay or something. So I had to do some editing and splicing of the audio, but I did get as much of it together as I could to make it work. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. I do apologize if there was anything that got cut out. So thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. I'll be back again next week, and we are going to talk about the NHL awards because we still have not had a single hockey game yet. Uh, don't worry, once that gets going, I will be covering all of the playoffs. And of course, follow me on Twitter, at GotMoke. Let me know what you think. And if there's any special guests you think I should try and get for the future, tweet at me. Let me know. Thanks.